what's what's interesting in this job is the opportunity to go out and explore and, and to discover things and and then show them to the world, right? Show the the wonder of our world to other people. Our natural world inspires and shapes us, so it's more critical than ever that we work to protect it. I'm Alex Honnold, professional rock climber and founder of the Honnold Foundation, and this is Planet Visionaries, a podcast in partnership with Rolex's Perpetual Planet Initiative and the Washington Post Creative Group. Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative support explorers, innovators, and visionaries who strive to protect our natural world. I'm proud to be bringing you some of their stories from the cutting edge of conservation. On this episode, I'll be speaking with Angelo Bernardino, a marine ecologist studying the impacts of climate change on Brazil's mangrove forests in the Amazon. Hi, Angelo. Nice to talk to you today. Hi, Alex. Pleased to be here. Can you start by introducing yourself and, and telling me what you do? I'm a marine ecologist. I'm a professor of oceanography here in Brazil. So I've been always interested in, in biology, in living things. And after my undergrad course in biology, I went to the coast of Brazil where I started diving at some beautiful coral reefs and learning more about the ocean. I was really amazed by these ecosystems and how interlinked it is with life and with climate. And so after I became a professor here in Brazil, what I've decided to do was just pursue research to help conserve ecosystems that are important to us, to people and to species, marine species. And and so where did your interest in the, the Amazon River Basin come from? I mean, being a Brazilian, the Amazon always amazed us, right? And although we are closer to the Amazon than most of you guys abroad, uh, it's only a very few Brazilians that have the opportunity to go into the forest and to see how amazing the, the trees are, the forests are, you know? So my interest started uh, a few years ago when I decided to start mangroves, for instance, and we have mangroves along most of the tropical coast here in Brazil. We have mangroves here in, near my hometown. And I, after I started doing mangrove research, I started reading about it. And, and amazingly, there was very few information about mangroves in the Amazon, which was pretty amazing to me because the tallest and the largest mangrove forests are located on the Amazon coast. So I decided to start investigating that. And then uh, the story began. So what are mangroves? Mangroves are a type of what we call wetlands. So it's basically a forest that is inundated by ocean water during some parts of the day by the, by the tides. The tides come in and inundated that forest for some time. So mangroves are these forests that are adapted to thrive on the coasts of typically tropical coasts and to resist the salt water that comes in from the oceans typically. So mangrove refers to the ecosystem as a whole, sort of like the tundra or something like that. Exactly, exactly. So I was really interested in the Amazon because what influences mangroves, the size of the trees and the level of development of these ecosystems is mostly the tides and the river basins that there are nearby them. So these trees grow well when they are closer to a huge river mouth, such as in the Amazon. So that when the tide comes in, you have 20 feet of water covering much of the trees and you only see trunks out of the water. But then when the tidal recedes, when the tidal flushes out, uh, you see the whole 
root structure of these mangroves. And that's what is typical of these mangroves. If, I'm not sure if, if people are, are aware of how a mangrove tree looks like. It's basically a tree that it looks like it's crawling, right? It has or, or it, To me, it looks like a cathedral. It always looks yeah. like the vaulted buttresses of, of a cathedral. Kind exactly. Of. That's you. Yeah, it's a, a good, very good description. So those roots are made are for them to hold themselves as the water flushes in and out every day, you know. So in the Amazon, as, as I was saying, you can have, as you said, 20 feet of water and st very strong currents because of the flush out of the river mouth. So the, the, the currents are really strong and these trees are then adapted to hold themselves, stick themselves into the soils. And, and that's one of the things that uh, make them very well adapted to the, those conditions. But just, are, are you wearing a mangrove t-shirt? Yes, I mean, I do it. Can you see that? <laughs> yeah, some students, my students, they gave it to me as a, as a gift a few years ago. <laughs> That's awesome. The Rolex and National Geographic Perpetual Planet Amazon Expedition has allowed Angelo to expand his work and uncover new mysteries. And so tell me specifically about your research in the Amazon. What, what were you looking for? What did you find? Amazingly, the Amazon mangroves haven't been well studied for, and I think for the most part, because they are so remote, there are no roads, which means the mangroves, a lot of the mangroves that thrive on the coast, they have never been visited by anyone except from fishermen that live nearby. So they haven't been, they have been stayed for decades or centuries untouched by humans. So the sites we went last year with the Perpetual Planet Amazon expeditions were probably, we were probably the first ones to be there and to collect data on these mangroves because we had to travel days by boat to even reach those areas. It's funny to think that there's still regions like that on Earth that need to be explored. You know, like you just wouldn't think that, that there would still be such big empty spaces on the map, so to speak. I mean, scientifically anyway. I mean, naturally it's been mapped, but, but it's so unknown. Can you talk about what it's like to do field work in mangroves like that? It sounds like <laughs> yes. the hardest possible place to work. <laughs> yes, it's, it's really hard. So the first thing is to, you, you have to learn with the fishermen. Then we were lucky to make good contacts with local fishermen that go out at sea, go out of the river mouth every day to fish. So they, they know how the river works, how the tides work. We have to work when the tides are, are down, right? Are empty because we have to be able to crawl, to walk among the trees. I mean, the trees are so dense and you have to crawl around uh, the roots. And it takes us four hours just to make a 100 meter transect into the forest. It's a lot of time to collect and measure trees. Then we have to finish and go back because you see the tides are coming up again. So you have only the time between the low tide and the next high tide to work because we can't be in the forest when the tides are high. Yeah. So it takes you four hours to go 300 feet through the forest. Exactly. Yes. We do six plots of like 12 meters diameters or 36 foot diameters approximately and, and collect soils and measure trees. And we do that in four hours. That sounds so terrible. <laughs> I, just did a, I just did an expedition this summer in Alaska, in Southeast Alaska, which is the largest temperate rainforest in the world, in the Tongass. And we were bushwhacking through the forest trying to get to this objective to climb this big peak. And uh, we were traveling at two hours per mile, which is like the the slowest that any of us have ever hiked. But you're talking about <laughs> spending four hours to do a couple hundred feet of, of yes. measuring and cataloging. It's like that is that's crazy. That is 
And the, and you said you guys have to crawl through the forest? Is that yeah. like you're actually crawling? Cr- yeah, because it's mud, right, Alex? So actually you are crawling literally with your hands because you are sinking through the mud as you walk and as you carry that heavy equipment, you're sinking to your knees every time. So it's exhausting. You get out of there exhausted. And then you have to climb trees too. So as you said, some of those routes, they are 40 meters tall. It's like a building of an eight floor building or something like that, 10 floor building. So, and you have to crawl up to where the roots end to measure the trunk diameter. It's very exhausting physically. In a broad sense, like why are mangroves so important? So mangroves, they, they have a capacity to hold up particles that are being delivered by the Amazon River Basin. So they get all these sediment particles that come sometimes all the way from the Andes Mountains. These particles are being carried by the Amazon River. And at some point, they're going to reach the ocean through the Amazon River mouth. And the mangroves, they hold some of those particles. And what they do, is they build up soils. So as the sea level changes through time, through centuries, the mangroves are building up soils to resist, to adapt to this sea level rise. So in areas where you have sea level rise or where you have strong storms, hurricanes, mangroves are have an incredible capacity to protect the coast. And not only the, the coast, but also obviously human infrastructure that uh, have developed uh, on the coastal regions. And they, of course, they are really important as food sustainability. You know, a lot of people that live on the coast depend on and rely on them for fisheries and for shellfish. They are feeding grounds and reproducing grounds for many aquatic animals. And what keeps you personally so passionate about mangroves? I think mangroves are are amazingly undervalued ecosystem, you know, and and people, uh, they look at them and and say, oh my gosh, I'm not going to work on this part. It's much more attractive to go to a coral reef, right? Diving in clear ocean waters. But when you look at mangroves, uh, they are this nasty ecosystem, mosquitoes. I haven't mentioned mosquitoes before, but they are there too. So it's so hard to study, but I think they are are extremely undervalued because we haven't been able to measure many of the important ecosystem services they provide to people, especially to vulnerable people. And in Brazil, what's been driving me a lot to the Amazon as well is because the most vulnerable populations are located in northern Brazil, close to the mangroves and close to the Amazon rainforest. So we've been there doing some community work too, to try to understand how they use mangroves. And it's amazing. You meet people there, you literally have nothing but the forest, what they catch on the day to eat and what they use the the wood they use to build up their, their, their shack. So it's amazing how important these ecosystems are to the most vulnerable people in Brazil. Yeah, so I'm interested, you're kind of describing the big picture, like, oh, you know, making discoveries and helping vulnerable communities and like, yeah, that makes sense. But what keeps you going out there day after day when it's so challenging? I think exploration drives me a lot, you know, curiosity, as you said. And it's amazing, like being a marine scientist, there's so many unknown things about oceans in general, in marine ecology. And that's true, as I said, for mangroves too. It happened with us in this exploration. We went out, we expected to, well, see, you know, beautiful mangroves in the Amazon. But when we got there, we saw a completely different type of mangrove. So this was like, oh my gosh, you know, it's just like, thinking that you're going to see something and and then discovering something very different. So that's cool, right? So, I mean, I think what's what's interesting in this job is the opportunity to go out and explore and, and to discover things and, and then show them to the world, right? Show the, the wonder of our world to other people. 
So what did you discover? I mean, you mentioned thinking that you would find one type of mangrove and finding another, but what, what does that mean? You know, what implications does that have? So this is really cool. So basically, as I said, the Amazon river mouth is so remote. Most of the mangroves there have been mapped by satellite, right? So when we went there in the expedition last year, and we tried to look at the mangroves where the maps were indicating, and we wouldn't be able to find them. And I said, oh my gosh, this is a major failure of our expedition. We are not finding mangroves where they were supposed to be in the map. And we were asking to the locals, hey, you know, you know, these mangrove trees, you know, they said, oh, I think here there are some trees like that. And then we stopped at a point and we started walking into the forest. So we went in and after we walked like 50 meters, we could see the first mangrove tree. So it was a completely different type of forest because we had some mangrove trees and they were mixed with freshwater trees, trees that grow in freshwater river basins, such as in the Amazon. So we looked further, we saw that the trees were growing in freshwater, right? The soil salinity was fresh because there is so much influence of the Amazon River being discharged there. And that's what we discovered, like a novel type of mangrove composition, you know, tree composition, which was not very well understood before. Oh, wow. So, so you're describing so much fresh water coming out of the Amazon River that even though you're touching the ocean, you're like at the beach, it's actually fresh water that it's, the trees are growing. Yeah, salinity zero. It's amazing. You know, and, and that's the thing. People don't understand how much water comes out of the Amazon. So the Amazon, to give people some, some sense of the freshwater flux, the flux of fresh water out of the Amazon is higher than the next five largest river in the world combined. It. So literally, we're navigating on coastal areas away, like we were 200 kilometers away from the Amazon river mouth. And you see fresh water on the ocean coast. And then you, that's where you have mangroves there thriving in fresh water, mixed with freshwater trees. Amazing that's crazy, place. that's so far. Yeah, it's an amazing place. What are the implications of your work on climate or climate change? Mangroves are incredibly useful to fight climate change because they capture carbon, right? They help to remove carbon from the atmosphere. It's because of the waterlogged soils. So the soils, as they are waterlogged, so they are inundated for most part of the, of the day, they preserve more carbon per, per time, you know? So the amount of carbon that is sequestered by these soils is much higher than typical upland forests. So they can help us to fight climate changes, to mitigate at least climate change. So one thing that's happening and it has happening in several places in the world is that people can cut mangrove forests to build coastal development. And we want to try to avoid that. We want to try to inform governments, especially the Brazilian government, how important these Amazon, these Amazon mangroves are in the fight of climate change. Because when you lose them, we are releasing massive amounts of that carbon that have been taken up by these forests for centuries. And we are simply releasing that to the atmosphere. So we are aggravating climate change with, with, the, with the loss of mangrove forests across the world. Angelo has partnered with organizations and scientists around the world to expand the impact of his expeditions. So can you talk about some of the support that you've received to help you with this work? Our work is part of this Perpetual Planet Amazon Expeditions, which is a partnership between National Geographic and Rolex to try to understand special ecosystems, special parts of the world. And these, these expeditions are centered in the Amazon River Basin. So it's been an amazing opportunity to, to assemble an expedition, get a bunch of researchers interested in, in complementary questions, and just go out there. And of course, Rolex and National Geographic are there 
probably unbeatable, right? To produce content, to help us to share stories, to share how the wonders of the things that we discover in the field. Uh, I think uh, if we are to change our perception of the world, the global perception of the world, of the natural world, is education and, and outreach these days, right? So it's an amazing way to share content and inform people of the, the little work we're doing, right? At this spot we're doing in the Amazon and try to improve our future with that. Have you partnered with any other people? Yes, yeah. So there's a colleague of mine, Margaret O'War. So she's also a National Geographic Explorer. She's helping me to carry this work uh, with communities in the Amazon. So Margaret has an amazing background. She's from Kenya and she started doing her work on mangroves in Kenya. And when I brought her to the Amazon, she came to the Amazon here in Brazil for the first time last year. And she was amazed to see how different the, the mangroves were and, and all the differences in communities. And, and one thing that, uh, that came up right away and she was telling me this story was that in Kenya, there's a much more intense use of mangroves from people. So people cut mangroves to use the wood for cooking, right? For coal and cooking. And that's not very common in the Amazon. So people use the mangroves differently across the globe. And Margaret brought this, her, her experience from Kenya. And she was amazed by the uh, conservation status of mangroves here. So she's helping us to do this community work and leading this community work so we can try to estimate the importance of these mangroves to local communities in the Amazon. That's, that's awesome. And so, so what have you guys seen as, as some of your, your successes in the Amazon? I'm so happy with all the amazing support from locals, fishermen, and everyone that could help us. And we're going to go back there next year to to give back them the results, you know, to, to share the results of the communities. And yeah, it was amazing. Everywhere we went to do this work, the community work, they were so appreciative of the opportunity to participate, to help us to understand better their ecosystem. They're the ones mm -hmm. that live there. And I think that more people share many of the same values than than we might think. You know, it's like, Like almost any human is is awed by natural wonder, you know, like, I mean, particularly, say, with mangroves, when you think of the the vaulted, the roots, the incredible root structure, the, you know, if you see a mangrove forest at low tide, every human is awed by that. It's like, wow, what incredible geometry and, and like the gracefulness of the limbs, you know, you're just like, oh, it's, like it looks incredible. And I think any human can can see that and be moved by it. It's just a matter of... Uh, You know, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a matter of connecting those those shared values, and that's that's another way how how Rolex and 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 National Geographic are helping us with this project, right? Because we are sharing images, right? Amazing images, amazing footage, and people won't be able to be there. Most of people won't ever have a chance to go there. So when and, you and to put be honest, that, most people don't want to go there. Exactly, <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> that's that too. That's the other part of people. <laughs> <laughs> But when you look and, and when you put those river basins, you know, when they're free of mosquitoes and they're, they're free of all the hassles that you have to, to take to be there, uh, it's amazing. Uh, the pictures and uh, I've seen pictures that they have taken in our expedition and I say, oh, oh my gosh, I haven't seen that, you know, and it's, it's beautiful. It's great. And then it, it helps uh, conservation. It helps to tell our story through beautiful imagery too. So that's an amazing thing. Yes, that's for sure. I have the same experience on expeditions where you see the pictures afterward and you're like, did I go there? That's so yeah. incredible. <laughs> you know, but the, the reality was that you were covered in mosquitoes and you were getting eaten alive and it's like raining and it feels terrible. And then later you're just like, what an amazing landscape. We should protect that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Angelo's work as a professor gives him hope for the next generation of conservation.
And so what are your hopes for the future of your work in the Amazon? What are the next steps? That's a great question and most difficult one. But I think there's the first change is to understand the importance of these forests to people that depend on them. And I think it's important to show to the locals that those trees, those ecosystems are important for their food catch, for their protection, coastal protection for their lives and for the uh, end of their children. So we're trying to change their perception of the ecosystem so they can be better informed to advocate for their conservation through the next generations. Yeah, it's interesting. So in some ways, what you're saying is that the best way to protect these areas is to help the people who live there understand how important they are to their own communities exactly. and then allow those communities to advocate for themselves to sort of protect their own their own way of life. Exactly. That's perfectly said. And, and so what advice would you give to somebody who's interested in doing similar work? Besides all the physical demands and the hazards and bugs bites in this job, I think curiosity is a big thing. And I've been doing that for the past 15 years I've been doing research and, and it's worked well for me. I think restoration is going to be a big thing for the next years. If we can manage the changes in climate, I think restoration is going to be a big issue for the next generations. What advice would you give the average person on how to help keep the planet perpetual? Oh, that's great. I look at my children and I have two daughters. One is a baby, uh, but she's, she's going to yeah, get how there. Old? I, I, uh, I have, will have two daughters very soon as well. Oh, have, uh, amazing. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, my wife's pregnant, but we'll have, we'll have two daughters soon. How, oh, how old are yours? Uh, my, my older one is eight years old and I have a baby, eight month baby. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's a change, yeah. But anyway, they're amazing. They're so cute. And I think looking at them, I see the the next generation. I see what they're going to face in terms of of this planet, right? How this planet works. And even to my students, I think the advantage of being a professor in university, you're among 20 years old all the time. You know, they're funny. They're excited all the time, energetic. And so what I look for them and, and keep trying to say them is to try to make smart decisions in terms of nature, right? As they grow up, as they get educated, to try to make smart decisions in terms of what we can do to to save this planet. So for the future generations, I, I hope they make smarter choices than we did, right? And not only the easy ones. That was marine ecologist Angelo Bernardino. I'm Alex Honnold. Thanks for listening to Planet Visionaries. Catch me on the next episode when I get to speak with Rodrigo Medellin, a conservationist working to protect bats across Mexico. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out the next generation of environmental innovators at rolex.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, and leave a comment to help others find the podcast.